Good morning, America. This is Jerry Rhodes coming to you from Chicago, Illinois. How are you doing? It's going to get hot today. It uh, was hot two days ago, and then I got cool, and now it's getting hot again. I guess that's summer coming. But anyway, today's episode, Accountability Analytics for Measuring Performance of the President, Federal and State Governors. How do we now judge a president and a Congress and a uh, Supreme Court and our governors and our mayors and our um, board, boards of education? Uh, we just get it by listening to CNN or Fox News or MSNBC. Or are there specific uh, analytics that we can look at that measure performance. I mean, all I've ever heard about state government, particularly in Illinois, is they want to go to a performance-based um, system. And performance-based meaning uh, not just the uh, administrators of the agencies, but uh, of the, of the, the uh, legislature itself. Well, of course, that's never happened. In the political environment, they, the politics always say, go along, get along, and avoid teaching the electric, electric, the electric, the electorate. So um, this, this particular podcast is saying that we must set up analytics for measuring the performance of the president, federal administration and our state governors. And so I don't think that the, for the federal, that the stock market, that's not a report card. That's a speculation. Or uh, our budget or deficit or surplus or um, tax taxes. Tax revenue. Uh, what else? Uh, the um, the budget itself, uh, which tends to be a thousand pages by the time it's put together, and then within that budget, what are the analytics that we could summarize to as a voter uh, evaluate the performance of a president? Uh, a Congress, specifically a Democrat Congress versus a Republican Congress or um, governor or a mayor. Um, and, you know, maybe no one's interested but me. But that's what I've done with my career was to establish analytical tools that could measure performance and not stopping at measuring, but how to improve performance. So let's put that in perspective for a country. What are the most important things for measuring performance, say for the president? Is it the plurality of winning the popular vote or the electoral vote? 
or the number of party members that are in the Senate and House, and are they controlling the Senate and the House? Uh, does that really measure the success of the great American enterprise? I don't think so. I think right now it's misleading to think that that we're measuring anything. Because if we were measuring what I'm going to talk about, we certainly wouldn't be voting for the same people because we don't have qualified candidates when the, when the only thing that can allow, allow you to get uh, elected is how much money you can raise or how much money you have or how much you can get the media to jump on your bandwagon or your uh, Twitter account, how many followers. Right now, uh, I couldn't run for anything. I'm just a struggling retired entrepreneur and author with minor sales of my books until I got an agent. Hopefully that's going to turn it around. But no, the ordinary person doesn't have a prayer to vote, to really run for anything except maybe local, if like our community of Gilbert, Illinois, which is a Chicago suburb, is relatively small. I guess I could run for mayor or post, post office manager, uh, whatever. And, and I'm not going to do that. The only thing I'm running on right now is my treadmill. But, okay, let's look at the federal um, analytics that could be utilized to uh, at least not on a transparency basis because it's already been spent, the screw-ups have already happened, and there is no way of preventing it from happening in the future without having a system that's gathering this information as we go. Well, right now, the only thing we have is a usdebtclock.org, www.debtclock.org, or openthebooks.com, which are transparent tools. To an extent, Open the Books is purely a transparency look at what's already happened, what's already been spent, and oh my God, how much did we pay those individuals like Fauci and and uh, the public health officials? It would just make you sick. Because the top 100 salaries in the federal government, 91 are in public public health, CDC, FDA, and you're seeing the results of that. But we got to go beyond what's been spent already, not beyond, actually before, because we, we are not going to, to get results by looking back and saying, oh, my God, I wish we hadn't done that, because it's going to be defended by those leaders that have made those decisions, whether they were informed or not, will defend their actions so we get nowhere because we haven't defined the problem yet. The problem is, is we don't have a system of a generally accepted accounting principles for measuring fiscal health, fiscal health of our country, of our states, of our cities. We have no tools other than a budget. A budget is cash in, cash out. 
You know, it's the, it's the local drugstore with the cash register that has cash coming in and cash coming out. And at the end of the day, if there's nothing left, it's a loss. And if they have money left, it's a profit. Or as we've called it in um, governmental circles, surplus. Well, if you went around the country right now and asked the governors, do you have a surplus or do you have a deficit? And they would have to send you to their state treasurer or, or you would have to have them give you a report. But regardless of what that report says, it is not measuring performance. It's just going to tell you how much was spent and how much was taken in, like the drugstore and what was left at the end of their fiscal year. What's wrong with that? Well, you know, how much didn't we record in terms of obligations and how much of that revenue we took in was really applicable to the next year, not the current year. So you really, unless you use generally accepted accounting principles and accrual basis um, accounting, you'll never know where you are. And so all 50 states are on the cash. Well, they'll call it the institutional government uh, system. Is they all are, they say they're responsible for a budget, but they never report back against the budget. It's just that at the end of the year, they're borrowing more money and they bury the, they cook the books. So no one really knows on the accrual basis where they stand, we stand. And so, yes, on this whole um, web, website, podcast, books I write and whatever, along with the gentleman that runs the openthebooks.com are trying to work together. I'm trying to set up a system where we are measuring as we go along. And he set up a system of saying, uh-oh, this is what we did. That's why we need what Jerry is proposing and what he's proposing. Okay, accountability analytics for measuring performance of the president. Is it the number of votes versus his opponent, his or her opponent? Is it the budget? Is it the deficit? Is it the, the, the surplus? It's all the horses out of the barn. It's after the fact. Oh, they say we have transparency. Well, in any MBA class, you'll find out that Transparency is after the fact, and um, analytics in, a, in your uh, counting system and in your forecasting systems are predicting and reporting what's, what's happening. So which would you rather do, fix it or just put up with it and have it defended by the president, the Congress, the governors, the mayors, the so on and so forth. Okay, well, this sounds like a uh, turning everything upside down. No, it's just doing what every enterprise or institution, uh, no, I, I guess institutions really aren't held to this accountability. So that's what I'm talking about. We have institutional accounting. 
at every level. We need to convert it to what I would call an enterprise, um, enterprise model of not only reporting, but accounting for um, operations, as you call it, in, in, uh, in a business as you go along. And in this particular episode, I have recorded and had a, a, a voice a little more maybe uh, professional in mind, list those analytics that we could be using at every level, and then roll up those statistics to measure at the federal level how we're doing as we go along. So you wouldn't wait until the end of the budget year. You would be getting monthly reports, and those reports are are received by, yes, the, the president and, and, and uh, the governors and the, and the mayors because they are the ones that are ultimately the dollar you know, rests on their t desk. So they then have to make um, changes or resolve problems, not issues, not political issues to go along to get along, but to improve performance. And that end result in a, in a federal sense and a state fence sense is what is the gross domestic product for the states and the gross domestic product for the, for the federal government in relation to debt. And if, it's, if the debt exceeds the, the production of revenue, then we're losing ground. And we've been losing ground since the Second World War. The imbalance of trade has contributed to $30 trillion in debt for, at the federal level. And we haven't even recorded the obligations for Medicare, Medicaid, and all these other entitlements that are, are happening every, every month, every day, every year. So, yeah, we're at a point, a, a tipping point, if you want to call it that. I've, I've said we're, the dominoes are, dominoes are falling. Uh, as uh, the plane is crashing, because that's where we're headed. We now have an administration that keeps proposing trillion-dollar spending bills, and they they say they'll also then start taxing the, the wealthy to be able to fund those. Well, there isn't enough wealth for the country to fund what they're proposing. We're talking 15 zeros, and uh, we don't have... Uh, a thousand trillionaires or 10,000 or whatever that it would take to fund this crazy government. And it's not just the Democrats, it's the Republicans, it's, uh, it's the progressives, it's the conservatives, it's everyone participates in this. If we need it, we'll print it. If we need the money, we'll print it. And then we'll sign a treasury note that we'll liquidate maybe in 10 years or 30 years. And now um, uh, Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, is, one, is proposing or considering a 100-year Treasury note. Wow, we're deferring things to the next century, not just these 10-year uh, bills that are being passed for uh, infrastructure and Green New Deal, which are paid for over a 10 or 20 or 30-year period that we haven't even recorded. 
we don't we don't even record those as as an anticipated liability. And, and so and the same is true of pensions. Every government employee, 22 million of them in the country, have guaranteed pensions funded by not taxpayers, by, but by the country's borrowing. And they're, uh, what Fauci's, Fauci's pension is based on his $460,000 uh, salary for the last three years, average, and then he gets that until he expires. And so that you take that, roll that down to 22 million uh, federal and state government employees that are that are that have pension plans that were written into law by the service unions when they couldn't sell private sector because they couldn't afford pensions, they sold them to the public sector without us even knowing or realizing that it's written in law, and they're not even funding them. They're just a, they're not even accruing them. They're just putting money aside if they have it. Well, none of these entities have the money to fully fund pensions. And the worst are California, Illinois, and New York. And that's, yeah, they're democratic states because of the high population and, and the number of worker, government workers. And But every state's got the same problem. And if they recorded those unrecorded obligations, every state would have a deficit. And the and the federal government would have uh, no way of paying it off without filing for reorganization, and that's that's uh, reorganization under a quasi reorganization would be called Chapter Eleven bankruptcy. It's called Chapter Ten in government part uh, provinces, and uh, some states have filed for bankruptcy in cities. Uh, I'm told that the Constitution will not allow the federal government to go bankrupt, but the federal the Constitution says the government shall not spend in excess of their shall not budget and spend in excess of their ability to pay. So maybe we have to rethink this and treat this as a giant American enterprise, and that's what it is on the world scene in dealing with uh, global trade. China is is uh, CCP Inc. or USA Inc. Uh, uh, Putin wants to be USSR Inc. Iran is Iran Iran Inc. Then we have OPEC OPEC Inc. Um, anyway, we're competing now uh, on a global basis against ourselves because we transferred wealth and. The cape and the manufacturing capabilities and the supply lines over into other countries, and we have an imbalance of trade with 30 countries. So, uh, what's that add up to? That ends up to a loss every year, trillion dollar loss every year, and the imbalance of trade. So, am I a, hmm, a conspiracy theorist? No. Am I a CPA and an accountant and, and somewhat of an expert in finance and, and running businesses because I've had my own for 40 years? I'd say so. And I've written extensively on this topic and uh, others when it relates to healthcare and business. So I'm just going to wrap up this introductory part and let you listen to the rest of this, which is a little more details on what kind of analytics could, could we have. 
and I guess we should say should have. So thanks for listening and keep on tuning in. See you later. Bye. How can enterprise model analytics for change result in accountability for performance using the tenets of American laissez-faire in a world of competitive forces attacking our values with internally woke reasons for changing our way of life? It's a trade war of doubt and fear, one with faith and leadership, standing up for the 10 tenets of American laissez-faire. Then the American dream tenets for all, result in each enterprising American striving for a quality lifestyle for themselves and their families. Using their sweat capital invested in their chosen free market enterprise. 1. Reward received determined by the amount of risk taken. 2. The law of supply and demand for measuring markets. 3. Sharing is based on skill to build to produce quality services. 4. Earning is based on learning a skill to build for quality goods and services. 5. Competition is creating optimal quality, innovation and cash flow from GDP slash GNP. 6. Quality creates cost savings and profits. Profits create growth and capital. 7. Gap reports actual results. Stock market reports derivatives. 8. USA Debt Clock and Financial Analytics are a guideline for collective prosperity. 9. Sustainability, is debt less than 50% of GDP and GNP. 10. Accountability, for the above nine tenants, is the bottom line for measuring leadership. It's money capital funding, workers sweat capital for profit sharing, and GDP growth. My case for an enterprise model accountability, is built on the following analytics and financial realities. According to the Debt Clock www.usedebtclock.org For the first time since World War II, our debt of $30 trillion, on the cash basis, growing at $45 per second or $800 billion per year, exceeds our GDP of $21 trillion that is declining at $30 per second, or $500 billion per year, with inflation in energy costs and supply line control by China or a negative growth rate in GDP of minus $1.3 trillion per year. In accounting parlance USA can't pay its current obligations. Without borrowing trillions more money, and is insolvent on cash basis budgeting. Plus imposing $158 trillion of gap on recorded obligations, facing future generations and centuries, so, USA Federal Administration needs to direct the 50 governors, that we want them to supplement regulations with enterprise analytics as their banner, eliminating all obstacles to chair future GNP. Basing it on enterprise, not sin taxation, gambling tax, sale and lease back of American property to foreign interests, managed competition, and indiscriminate public costs for pensions, perks, special deals for state officials. Then growing the imbalance in foreign trade with our competitors. Create a list of enterprise analytics for measuring the success of the president using a comparison to 50 governors, giving out gold stars to those states that excel at governance and economics by producing profits and surpluses for their citizens. For example, comparative, crime rate, abortion rate, teen pregnancies, number of guns, graduation rate, tax rate, GDP versus debt rate, surplus, and profitability. The competitive data analytics of the United States, in the world market will indicate the value of the collective and individual productivity toward national goals. The criteria could consist of 1. Federal and state GDP versus debt. See www.usedebtclock.org. 2. State average SAT scores, 
3. State unemployment rate and worker compensation rate. 4. State crime rates, with number of guns, deaths, felonies and shootings. 5. State divorce rate, with number of first, second, third times, 6. State high school and higher learning graduation rates. 7. State teen pregnancy rate. 8. State literacy rate. 9. State abortion lives lost. 10. States, using GAP, balance sheet, P&L and cash flow. Income, property, sales tax rate. Use enterprise analytics, for evaluating the success of each state in comparison to other states, giving out gold stars and federal revenue sharing credits. To those states that excel at governance, and economics by producing profits, surpluses and capital for their enterprising citizens. By rolling up the results for 50 states, you have the federal analytics to measure the president, Congress and court systems, management results. The U.S. debt clock allows for a comparison to other administrations and countries, for measuring how the USA stands in the world of economics, trade and fiscal stability. Any MBA course will teach that accountability is far superior to transparency. It's before the problem becomes an immovable object whereas everything else, transparency, is after the fact and politically and artfully defended as justified. According to Peter Drucker, Abraham Maslow, and Ayn Rand, management of capitalism and socialism is using stated objectives for the measurement of subjectives, for the good of the enterprise and the enterprising, individual worker. Sharing in the profits of their investment and effort to learn to earn for a skill to bill. Interpreted by Jerry Rhodes, CPA, in his book The Science of Managing by Objectives and Subjectives. CBI Publishing Company, 1981. God Save the Enterprise, with wisdom and no surprises, from ignorance and defenses. CCP Incorporated, using the Chinese Communist Party's wolf warrior policies, is winning the USA's globalization trade war, with a low overhead efficient autocracy. CCP Incorporated is the largest enterprise in the world. It has 98 subservient companies with 12 on the Fortune 500 list. It has 745 million proletariat workers, with no say. It has a Politburo board of directors, with one autocrat president. It has no unions, no articles of incorporation. It has no bylaws, or rule of law for accountability. It has no restraint of trade limitations, or antitrust law. It has no HR human relations department. Its only investor is a Communist Party Politburo. It has only one stockholder with total veto power. It has no labor contract with its employees. It has no complaint department. It has no work ethics standards. It doesn't need efficiency experts. It has no required quality control. Each of its employees are earning the same salaries and minimum benefits. CCP Incorporated's research and development is hacking and stealing secrets of others for its technology. Being atheist nor ethical, it embeds its citizens in its competitors' universities and communities, for stealing ideas and technical applications. It has no 50 Republic of United States constitutional democracy to control or satisfy. CCP Incorporated also has investors from its competitors, American Union Pension Funds, Foundations and Group 401k mutual funds are investing in stocks and bonds of CCP subsidiary companies, in a single economy. Unwittingly, American investors are investing in a communist regime to the tune of $400 billion per year, one-third is from the USA government treasuries, 
that will grow to $1 trillion in market value by the end of 2021. This creates a dichotomy, with current international politics as the USA enforces sanctions and tariffs on CCP Incorporated, and our anomalies when it comes to winning the globalization Cold War. On the other hand, the reverse of CCP investing in USA companies is closely controlled by the CCP, a monopsony and a monopoly, a one-buyer and seller market that controls all trade agreements, and enforcement of competitive influences. CCP Incorporated converts low-quality, with little to no overhead, for profits from its subsidiary companies. Also, no strikes, no work stoppages, media attacks, no protests other than religious groups, compared to 40% government fixed overhead to run USA enterprises. CCP Incorporated taxes small to large companies 2.5 to 15%. Individuals 3% to 45% on worldwide income. Therefore, CCP Incorporated is low overhead and high return on investment. On the other hand, 59% of the CCP workers are over 50 years old with a mandated social security program. 90 million drop out of the workforce per year. Of the 745 million workers 10% are over 70 with a 54 average retirement age. CCP Incorporated trails the USA in GDP, with $14 trillion versus the USA of $21 trillion. Japan is third with $5 trillion, Germany fourth with $4 trillion, India fifth with $3 trillion. From these recent analytical figures, the USA is leading in GDP, from a workforce of 170 to 200 million enterprising Americans, with the highest government overhead costs and lowest return on investment compared to China, that is catching up by controlling the supply lines with low labor costs and high technological theft. The imbalance of trade is with China is approaching $900 billion per year. Even more with the China virus pandemic with China providing PPE and pharmaceuticals to battle the $1.9 trillion stimulus cost of closing down the USA economy. CCP Incorporated has a more efficient labor force, without interference of human rights, unions and strikes. An autocracy that's destined to be destroyed by corruption and revolts. In the background are the 350 million believers in Falun Gong, who have opted out of the CCP, and support human rights, and free market capitalism. Thus CCP Incorporated envisions China capitalism and the China dream, to be the new world order for bringing all socialist and communist countries together to compete with American capitalism and American socialism, monetary capital and human capital, practicing peaceful coexistence with humanism as its constitutional foundation. The next 20 years will decide, if the USA will lead the world out of a trade war, and poverty by taking back the supply line imbalance of trade, establishing profitable American enterprise who practicing humanism and peaceful coexistence as the United Nations standard. This is the focus that the American Enterprise Party swing vote and its version of Americanism, brings to the partisan two-party, red and blue, gridlock. A pathway of equity for both the haves and the have-nots, using a bipartisan swing vote in the Houses of Congress, and the republic for which it stands, under God, and the Constitution of the United States of America. Leadership matters, currently America is losing the showdown with China, Russia, North Korea and Iran, the rules, those with the gold, minerals, population, tyrannical leaders, supply lines, will rule. Who is leading using this criteria for a global threat of World War III? Is it Putin and Xi Jinping or Biden? With oligarchies and politburos in Iran, Venezuela, 
North Korea, Turkey, where 70% of the population is communist-controlled. Russia, on the offense based on this criterion in Ukraine, Mid-East, and Europe. Leader Valdemar Putin? China, on the offense using supply lines, low overhead, a growing GDP. Leader Xi Jinping, America, on the defense and losing its strength on all of the criteria with Biden, Harris, and a gridlock Congress leading from behind, how can we win if we have dissension in the ranks? Balance of power in the world, 1. Trade war, China winning, America losing, 2. Land war, Russia winning, America losing, 3. Political war, Russia and China on offense, America defense losing, 4. Ideology war, Russia and China on offense, America defense losing, America's current leadership is playing defense, reactionary and indecisive. President Biden, VP Harris Secretaries Blinken, Austin, Congressional Pelosi, Schumer, Warren, Sanders, AOC the squad all progressives, with 27 governors controlling a defense-minded America. The Republican minority party with Congress led by McConnell and McCarthy, with 23 governors, are losing the balance of power of a binary two-party system in the race to the ballot box. America's strength is using a strong offense. 1. Trade. Shift supply lines now and build on our GDP, capital, stock market, work ethic, and patriotism. 2. Land mass. Utilize energy resources that support our economy and return to energy independence restoring natural resources. 3. Political using a third party to break gridlock for winning the trade and political war, 4. Ideology. Using humanism and peaceful coexistence as the game plan, American Enterprise Party objectives are offense-driven. We need to elect congressional leaders that have attributes that are offense not defense in objectives. Defense is focusing on the wrong game plan, loss of energy independence for a false positive as the Green New Deal, leading from behind on problems, designating them as issues, needing task forces while the competition takes away our strengths. For example, Ukraine and Russia the world's number one problem, Biden administration weak and indecisive, 1. Afghanistan being reactionary and indecisive destroyed our reputation in a highly competitive world, and emboldened Putin and Xi Jinping, 2. Ukraine reactionary and indecisive further destroys our leadership in world affairs, need to hold NATO, EU and UN accountable for peaceful coexistence. Activating membership to defend Ukraine and other European countries against tyranny. 3. Energy policy based on quack theories regarding climate and global warming. 4. Acquiescing to Russia and China aggression due to conflicts of interest in our leadership and dominance of big box and big media in politics. 5. If the swing vote by Senator Manchin is lost to the Democrats, a uni-party control device is the two-party system destroying America's ability to win the war on America's preeminence in trade monetary policy and political ideology, American Enterprise Party the swing vote in Congress, 1. Breaks ties and moves all legislation towards middle American majority, 2. Forces the extreme progressive influences to work on solving energy and supply lines, 3. Enables American ideology to be based on peaceful coexistence and humanism, 4. Be offense-minded in foreign affairs and fiscal accountability for spending and downsizing government and upsizing enterprise for winning the balance of power in the world. Solution. To losing America's preeminence in the world of trade, peace and prosperity. Enable a three-party system of political influence to break the gridlock of a uni-party Congress and legislative bodies throughout America. 
the American Enterprise Party based on Jerry Rhodes' trilogy is the platform and principles of free enterprise and enterprising Americans being represented in the voting booth, breaking ties and making the filibuster bipartisan. Volume 1, The Swing Vote to Reign in Big Brother and the Brotherhood, represents reasons why this will move America away from extremes taking over the power wanting to control the media, presidency, Congress, business, social standards, and the flow of resources, monetary and natural, using unsupported science with no common-sense solutions. Volume 2, The American Enterprise Party Manifesto represents the platform and reasons for a reorganization of America's financial reporting, using generally accepted accounting principles and the debt clock to hold leadership accountable for fiscal and physical well-being. Volume 3, American Work Ethic and Patriotism, How Do We Get It Back to the World War II Approach to Winning? using a learn-to-earn and a skill-to-build culture where enterprising workers get their equity and prosperity from the capitalists sharing on that basis.